I can do things that wear it without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Coney Island, world's biggest barrel of fun. Anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get all shown off, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the wonderful world of theme park design, that is. You've just set sail on a remarkable journey of discovery and discussion with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and puttering around the river with me, as always, is theme park designer, master planner, and chief creative officer for Storyland Studios, Mel McGowan. Where's the river winding today, Mel? Well, Freddie, this is a real personal treat for me. Uh, today we've got uh, one of my personal heroes and mentors on the show, uh, the one and only Mr. Tony Bruno. Tony's a 24-year Disney vet. He was uh, the VP of the Disneyland Resort Hotels, downtown Disney, uh, really providing amazing resort experiences in not only three of the world's most iconic uh, hotels uh, from a history and legacy perspective, but really kind of uh, extending uh, the idea of what Disney hospitality means. Um, he taught me how to extend the magic beyond the berm into world-class dining and hospitality experiences for Disney, but then he went on to do it for Weston, Sheraton, uh, and Great Wolf Lodge on multiple Pacific shores from the Aloha State to the Golden State. So I am just honored and humbled that one of my personal mentors has now also joined me, not only on this podcast today, but also as my partner in crime, as the head of uh, hospitality development uh, for us here at Storyland Studios. Wow, congratulations, Mel. Well, as they say in the resorts, welcome home. I can't wait to dive in with you and Tony as we explore the world of theme park hospitality. All righty, folks, keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the boat, because this episode is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. Mel, I think you're like me and like many men of our age who grew up uh, with uh, Disneyland around the corner to some degree that uh, you always have a dream of staying the night inside the park. Um, my, I always thought, hello, if you could just hop out of Pirates of the Caribbean at just the right spot, or if you got off at Tom Sawyer Island and hid behind a bush, you might be able to spend the night uh, out there and uh, sort of get away with it. Of course, there were rumors of Disney dogs around, running around to try and prevent you from that. But I, I'm telling you, that was one of my dreams. You're the same way, aren't you? Uh, well, definitely. Actually, uh, I think I've told the story before on this podcast. Uh, my dad moonlit as a security guard, and he would tell me about finding those kids in the bushes and in the sets <laughs> of Pirates of the Caribbean. And and I remember very specifically uh, him telling me that story of uh, kids you know, they found in Pirates uh, in the village. And I remember thinking, you should not have told me that, because that is an amazing <laughs> idea. Right. I can't yeah, wait yeah, to yeah, try yeah. it. Yeah. And so that definitely got me on this, really became a decades-long journey of figuring out a way to crack the code of letting guests extend the day-long theme park experience into uh, an overnight opportunity where they could live the dream. It's yeah, been, I, I just, I, it's, what is it about it? What's so magic about, like, that, that idea of bringing, you know, the theme park into that experience, specifically, like, into hospitality, like into your room. You know, we stayed at the Disneyland Hotel a year ago and, you know, you've got the ability to push a button and have a little fireworks show happen over your bed in little LED lights. Like 
why is that so magical to people? You know, I think there's something about, um, you know, Tony Baxter used the phrase, live the dream. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. there's something about, you know, when you're, you're you know, visiting someone's home and, it, you know, it's a beautiful home, but you're, you're, you've got a certain... Uh, point where your uh, invitation is kind of growing. <laughs> you know, all right, uh, dinner's over, <laughs> dessert's over, drinks are over, uh, you know, your, yeah. your stay is over, right? Uh, but there's something uh, entirely different about, again, falling asleep, entering into that uh, REM dreamscape, waking up and still being in the magic. Um, and again, there's different levels of magic, but, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, on Disney property is one thing, but, uh, and then, you know, again, being in a theme park, that's, that's a whole other level. And, uh, or being on a Star Wars battle cruiser, you oh, know, that, that's, that's right. Good too, so. That's right. I mean, uh, that is, was a lot of the motivation of that, uh, Grand Californian Hotel, uh, which I know we're going to be talking about a little bit, uh, later today, but the idea that, uh, hey, this, this thing looks into the park. Like you could look out there and see what happens in a Disney park overnight. And that's, very, very unique and special. Well, yeah, I can't wait to talk about that blurring of the lines between the the theme park versus a true uh, immersive themed hospitality overnight experience because um, you know that was definitely uh, part of the the DNA of the one that got away in terms of Westcott Resort spending right, the night right. in Asia and Africa in Europe. Um, you know, just again, how how great would it be to spend the night above the French Pavilion, right? Uh, oh in my Epcot. goodness! Um, and so, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a it's an exciting new chapter in our industry that uh, you know is just getting cooler and cooler. So <laughs> it does. It keeps on getting cooler. Well, uh, today's guest is Tony Bruno. He's former VP of the Disneyland Resorts and Downtown Disney District. Under his guidance, over four thousand cast members operated the Four Diamond Grand Californian Hotel and the Disneyland Hotel as well as 49 unique brands that comprise downtown Disney. I mean, that place is always hopping. Today, he leads hospitality development, uh, as you said at the top, at Storyland Studios, which I can't wait to get into. He helps other resort brands elevate their hospitality initiatives to include like a, a more exclusive and unforgettable experiences. Mel, let's put our paddles together for our interview with the master of theme park hospitality, Mr. Tony Bruno. Tony, man, I am so stoked to get you on here finally. Um, boy, it has been a, a long ride. I, we've known each other for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, call me 90. You, you have an now? age a day, my friend. 1990? Yeah. Yep. 30, yep. 30 years? The beginning of the Disney decade. Wow. That was a long time ago, man. It really was. <laughs> it's been a few Disney decades. And the good news is we still remember. <laughs> it's a miracle it's and a miracle. can let you live to tell the tale yeah <laughs> you have an age a day my friend you're looking good well you know <laughs> zoom, zoom cameras <laughs> a lot of backdrop uh, benefits to it yeah that's the only great. the only thing missing though is uh that can of diet coke sitting at your office at 5 30 in the morning when uh <laughs> you're opening up the place that's right yeah, there we go it's it's, it's there <laughs> It's here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, looking forward to our uh, trip uh, next week and, and kind of doing some more adventures together. So we'll, we'll maybe reference that as much as we can a Sounds little bit good. later. But yeah, welcome to the Themed Attraction Podcast. Yeah, uh, I 
Tony, I'm thrilled to have you on. Mel has talked a lot about you. I think um, in a lot of his sort of uh, formative um, and experiential um, life, he, he, he references you a lot and your, your influence on, on him and uh, the way he thinks about uh, uh, master planning and uh, theming and, and the whole uh, immersive storytelling uh, world. It's just, it's, it's exciting to meet you. I would love to, uh, just as we get started, we, the Themed Attraction podcast, we really try to dig into who uh, each one of our guests are, but but specifically around the task that they have to perform, the disciplines that they've uh, had to bring to the industry. And so would you real quick um, tell me, as if I've never heard of you before, what it is that you have uh your your specific discipline your your focus of study has been throughout your career well i guess you know it's just been continuous learning um you know i i I wouldn't say it's been any one thing you know when you get into disney you're into continual improvement number one but you start to realize the uh unlimited boundaries that you have with storytelling and theming and things which isn't like the true hospitality world out there. You know, there's, it's few and far between that come in with storyline and theming like we do today in Disney. And so um, it's really been that and just continual learning and growing over time. Um, you know, I was never involved in design or any of the projects uh, for the first six or seven years, but gradually, little by little, kept learning more and more and got pulled in. That's one oh, that's of the things, cool. uh, you know, I've always appreciated about you, Tony, and also uh, another one of our shared mentors, Hideo Amamiya, who's, uh, uh, I, I consider him a Disney legend, his windows on Main Street. But that uh, that ability to kind of, even like Jim Cora, who passed away this week, you know, that ability to break out of the box of, quote, uh, an operator uh, and, and truly become, in spirit at least, an Imagineer and a, and yeah. a true creator. Uh, and, and you're definitely in that breed, man. I, you know, really, really learn that from you. Well, a lot, lot of good mentors, number one. And as you've already stated, you know, we had some good folks around us with Hideo and uh, Wing Chow and, um, you know, Ron Izamita. And, uh, you know, so uh, they, they were really smart, could have done it all themselves, but they were also developers of people and continually sharing what their knowledge and learnings were with us and that's what helps you make it better yeah we you know there's a lot of names we'll probably throw around a lot of shared relationships in history but i, I kind of feel like it's just it would be an injustice to some of our listeners to not you know really elaborate on some of these uh these these people that really were just so influential on us and, and on the core product i mean uh wing chow maybe a lot of people know as governor chow in the mandalorian it was a fun little cameo <laughs> but, so but cool. he was a uh, you know uh i forgot his title but you know vp or you know, head of design and development. For, he was chairman uh, of uh, Asia at one point. I mean, design development, senior vice president. Kind of, kind of a big deal, but definitely shaped, particularly the idea of Disney beyond design. Disney design beyond the berm. You know, um, you know, hotels, re, art, retail, dining, entertainment, master planning, and um, you know, from you know, finishing up at Harvard. Uh, going right into to, to the original design of what's now Disney Springs, but the Disney Village Marketplace, and and then he, uh, an old Harvard buddy of his, Ron Azamita, 
One of my mentors uh, was a landscape architect, uh, but then uh, they roped in each other over the years on different projects, including ones that Tony and I got to collaborate on on the on the master planning of the Disneyland Hotel. But so, anyways, fun stuff. A lot of great people. We're so blessed. Uh, but like I said, I've been super grateful and thankful for our friendship and and your support, Tony, over the Maybe. years. And I'm so, super stoked on the opportunities that we're having today to to continue that collaboration. Because uh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I just try to keep up with your energy and your pace and your your your, <laughs> your work ethic, man. I can't. I, I've given up a long time ago, but you're you're amazing. I, I, I no longer understand where Mel really is anymore, and if he really lives in California. I mean, I always I, say, saw, I, get to I saw visit. his trips around the world, and it just made me really wonder what he was up to. I always say I get to visit at least once a week. Usually is the is the goal. So yeah. Anyways. Maybe we could um, uh, kick in by describing what you mean by desi- design be- beyond the berm, design beyond the berm, or Disney beyond the berm. Or um, and I, I, I'm a, I have a personal story of one of my most painful moments in my life uh, that that I think might help us bridge that gap. And that is, and I, I'm going to sound like a wimp if this is one of my most painful, but. Um, hear me out. I was working at Big Thunder Mountain in uh, 1990, and I had I was wearing uh, the costume boots for maybe a nine or a ten hour shift back when I could get those. And uh, at the end of my shift, I needed to walk across the parking lot through the old Disneyland Hotel, uh, uh, the bodegas or whatever, whatever those. Um, uh, what were those? The little casinos. flats. Uh, yes, yes. And I halfway across the Eeyore parking lot, my feet started to swell up inside my my Converse All-Stars and I I couldn't take it. I had to sit down and wait and uh, for my feet to unswell so I could get home, you know, at 1 a.m. and hit hit the hay. And I just remember that that ocean of parking lot. And at one point, it all of Disneyland was inside Disneyland. But now part of what you and uh, folks like you have done is really stretch that experience out. You've paved paradise or paved, <laughs> what do you call Un- it? Unpaved a parking unpaved lot paradise. put up paradise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so um, that big expanse of cement is now a real paradise in Anaheim and uh, even continuing to grow. Um, so ex- describe to me what that is. What is design beyond the berm? Uh, when it comes to hospitality and uh, retail, dining, all of that. You want me to go, Mel? Feel free. You taught me, so. (laughs) Well, here's what I will tell you is, you know, and and let's just go back to the Disneyland Hotel because that's a good white paper study. When the Disneyland Hotel was there, it had the Disney name on it, but it wasn't part of Disney for the first, I don't know, 30 some odd years. Um, And so you'd go in the hotel and sure, there would be some Disney merchandise and there might be characters in a restaurant, but there was not a story that pulled it together and it wasn't themed. Uh, It was a little hodgepodgey and things of that sort. So I think design beyond the berm is a matter of how do you take what Disneyland is known for and bring that into your hotels and all of your things, all the way back to the parking structure, you know, beyond the berm. So it wasn't like you were 
in just this one magical place. And I think what we'll get into a little later on, if you saw some of the renderings for what they announced yesterday, is that's the direction of where everything is going. How can it be a total experience? And in order to do that, years ago, you had to think outside the box and start thinking, how are we going to make these hotels and this other part of the company part of the Disney experience? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because there were some roots when Disney first started thinking about lodging, um, particularly back uh, in the planning of uh, Disney World, where they considered a Main Street hotel off Town Square. They they really thought of, you know, the Polynesia as an extension, as a visual extension of Adventureland. They thought of the Contemporary as a visual extension of Tomorrowland. There was very much that intuitive sense from that first generation of Imagineers of, well, of course we're going to extend the the design beyond the berm. But, uh, you know, after those two initial uh, hotels were built, there almost was this Berlin Wall between, um, you know, the, the hotel development group that was under the the, the Disney development uh, company banner, which was really Chuck Cobb, the former Arvita executives that Disney acquired. Um, and basically they were just trying to build a bunch of hotel room inventory. And they brought with them kind of a, a, a traditional resort development mindset uh, and a few Marriott executives along the way that that kind of said, okay, well, I guess we'll do some kind of themey thing, and maybe we'll even hire some writers, including our very own Jason Sorrell, you know, to develop these backstories <laughs> for, you know, whatever it is, whether it's Saratoga Springs or Wilderness Lodge, and some of them can really have some pretty rich placemaking embedded in them, but that's a different experience than really the idea of spending the night in the magic, which is uh, something I, I really look forward to talking to you, Tony, about, um, you know, as we started dreaming about what would it look like to spend the night in a park, you know, uh, and, you know, talking, let's talk about some of the early ideas, the Tom Sawyer's Island and the Club 33, you know, and then we'll, we'll talk about what actually happened and the fruit of some of those early efforts. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I remember, yeah, some crazy ideas that we were talking about uh, back in the day of what if, you know, in the footprints at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is now on the Rivers of America. You, you carved out uh, uh, kind of a wilderness lodge. Yeah, it, it's funny because we, you know, and, that, and that's the good thing about it. You continually are looking for opportunities um, that people may not have thought of. And they were mm. not like big mega hotels, but, you know, putting little boutique hotels. Could Club 33 have a hotel component attached to it and right. enters through the backside over the railroad? Um, Tom Sawyer's Island the same way. And, um, and I do believe that's probably where they're headed because, you know, you have to, it's all about experience nowadays. And right. clearly, based on what's happened over the last year, domestic travel is going to be huge. And so where are they going to go? They're going to go to places where they feel safe and they're experiential and it's fun. And that's what Disney does a great job with. Yeah. And like you said, Freddie, you know, it used to be that, uh, you could stay at a hotel with the Disney name, you know, in red neon, but it was so disconnected and separated. I mean, other than the the great monorail, as it was always a great umbilical cord, you still had that hundred acre black asphalt yeah. of desert, you know, and, and people would sit there and line up for a tram or a monorail. And if, if they were down to a one monorail operation, they would sit there for 45 minutes, yeah. an hour. And and part of the the linking of all that um, with downtown Disney was that kind of made that irrelevant. I mean, nobody thinks twice about uh, kind of just getting on foot and making the walk from the room right to the 
the park. And I think uh, some of the announcement yesterday with the Disneyland Forward, um, you know, just trying to get some more flexibility in zoning is about kind of getting away from that old school suburban separation of uses. Like this is the hard theme park zone and the, the, the use lines. This is the hotel district. This is a parking zone. This is a retail dining and entertainment district. And like Tony said, it's all experience and it's all integrated. And, you know, is a Star Wars hotel, is that a themed experience? Is that, an, a, you know, is that a food and beverage experience? Is it a theme park experience? Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all all the is. above. Well, tell, tell me more about what um, you're speculating on on that. Uh, I know we kind of thought we'd save that for the end of the day, but I, I get so excited about the master planning view of this and, and the zoning, et cetera. So just yesterday, the uh, Disney announced some Disneyland uh, expansions, uh, which with a bunch of pretty pictures, but really it's it seems to be more about making sure that they're able to do some special things in what is only zoned for parking, right? Uh, talk to me about that. So I'll just give my perspective, then Mel can add in. But if you think back to probably two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago, when the new hotel was going to go into downtown Disney, and they were closing down AMC, Rainforest, ESPN, yep. and then there was the issue with the city, it was about the fact that the hotel had shifted over 50, 75 yards, whatever it was. and. Basically, it was someone out there saying, well, time out. We're going to play difficult with you now. That's not what we show is where you're able to do it. You can only do it over here. And I think right. that's a lot of what they're trying to clean up. You're landlocked. So what do you have to do? You got to get creative. Yeah. Every space of that property, when you think about it, you have to think about what Mel and I used to hear all the time from our mentors is it's a big campus. And it's got to be an experiential campus, no matter where you're at on it. On it. So yeah, yeah. And we had you know the argument for doing a Grand Californian hotel, a, a hotel that straddles a retail dining entertainment district on one side, a, a themed land uh, with Golden State Recreation Area on the other side, and sits above parking. Uh, you know that that's that was new for Disney. That was pretty urban. I, ironically, even though the theme was a national park lodge, it was probably one of the most vertical mixed-use urban, you know, structures Disney had done. And and all the kind of uh, kind of thinking of like, you know, is it going to be okay for hotel guests hanging out towels out the window? You know, does that you know what does that do to the the show? Uh, you know, you know, for all the blood, sweat, and tears uh, that you put into that, that uh, Grand California, Tony, was it, was it worth it? What, what are you proudest of? What, what are the, yeah, what, what does the brain damage you incurred that you wouldn't do again? <laughs> well, I mean, the Grand California, I mean, it clearly turned out fantastic. It was somewhat painful in the process uh, early on, behind the scenes before it opened, but you know, no pain, no gain, because I think everyone, to your point, was worried, you know? One side of the fence was worried about how is this going to impact our theme park because of the show factor and the backdrop and what if a guest does X, Y, Z and is somebody going to walk out there without their bathrobe on and how is that going to be? But then on the opposite side, some of the operators in the hotels are worried about, ooh, are we going to deal with noise at night? Guests want to go to sleep, parks open until midnight, fireworks, all these different things. At the end of the day, we figured it out and it's a non-issue. Those are mm. the best rooms. The rooms sitting over downtown Disney, the best rooms, fireworks. People want to be in the, the midst of it all. 
So I think that's a great example of how it is able to be done. So now how do we expand it? Mm -hmm. One of the things, uh, Tony, I was impressed with early on, you know, when uh, you were first tasked with buying a pretty generic vanilla, you know, high-rise building, the the old uh, Pan Pacific Hotel and converting that first into the Disneyland Pacific, then the Paradise Pier Hotel was the way that you were able to kind of infuse a, a pretty straight up vanilla box with some uh, some Disney magic, whether it was the, I remember the practically perfect tea with Mary Poppins and, uh, you know, really just uh, kind of that, again, that idea that it doesn't have to be a hard line between what's in the park versus what's out of the park. Yeah, we had some really good people working on that. You remember Joey from Entertainment? Um, yep. He was fantastic. And I think that was that was one of the first times where uh, Byron Chapman, uh, you know, I told him it's going to take $5 million and he said, okay. And I don't think anybody ever asked me how I spent that money. That's changed. Nowadays <laughs> you get, don't get $5 without explaining where it's being spent. But I was able to go in and do the low bearing fruit where folks went to bed the night before and it was Pan Pacific next morning they woke up and it was Disney's, uh, Paradise Hotel or Pacific Disneyland, Disneyland Pacific. Pacific Hotel. It's changed names a few times. Um, and we had characters in the lobby. We found Disney artwork. We got Disney artwork framed, put in all the guest rooms. So it was it was a journey. Uh, wasn't it overnight? But it, it could be done. Guests had fun. Characters in the place, you know. And that's half the battle. And then with Tim Delaney, when Tim came in and was working on Paradise Pier section at the theme park. It was the perfect backdrop and you know you look at today and he did fantastic work yeah really just uh the power of a parapet you know to, to turn it into <laughs> a, a nice neutral backdrop uh to uh to that theme land which also worked you know one of the strategic things we, that i think is rarely recognized or talked about is you know with uh california venture we knew that we had an urban context to deal with whether it was power lines even though they were pushed out to the perimeter but you know there was never the budget to do the full immersive uh, landscape berm and screening. So you had to almost pick urban themes. So Hollywood Boulevard mm -hmm. or uh, a Paradise Pier that very much could have been in an urban Santa Monica, uh, you know, type setting. So it's okay to see, uh, you know, buildings beyond, but, but it definitely helps if you've got talent like Tim Delaney to, to make them a little less obnoxious and look like it could at least be a, a coastal boardwalk uh, hotel. And I think the connection between the Disneyland Hotel, the Grand California, and the Paradise Pier, and then the way uh, downtown Disney was centered amongst all of it, really helped to bring it all together. Still a lot of asphalt. There's still a lot of growth opportunity, and that's what they're uh, zoning in on. Well, I love the fact, though, that you teed on that initial pedestrian connection from uh, Paradise Pier right into uh, Paradise Pier land of California Venture. I, I noticed that was back on the plans as of yesterday. <laughs> oh, so you saw that. Yeah. And did you notice there's also one to the north that goes into Disneyland? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, the, the idea of the adjacency there. And that's well, a great and, example. You know, And the way I read into it yesterday um, was they're positioning that as those being expansion lands for those two theme parks. Right, right, which, yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't think they're as gung-ho about third and fourth gates today as uh, as they were back in the day of building half-day three, you know, parks just to kind of sell multi-day tickets, um, you know, with the when recognition of the local base. you have this much land in that area, I mean, 
last I remember, I believe it's around 3,200, probably 3,000 now because of the DVC expansion, but I think there's over 3,000 rooms entitled in that area. Um, but is that the right purpose and use? Yeah. How do you tell a story when people listen with more than their ears? Stories change lives. They make us remember, but only when they're felt and not just heard. Storyland Studios builds the impossible. We turn big ideas into reality. We tell stories in three dimensions to stir the senses so you can walk into places you've only seen in your dreams, in real life and real time. Storyland's artists, architects, and artisans take stories out of the imagination and build tangible dreams that leave lasting impressions and memories that endure for years. What's your story? Storyland Studios is themed entertainment, destination design, production, and fabrication. Connect with the team at Storyland Studios to get started building your impossible dream today. Visit StorylandStudios.com or call now. 800-218-1932. That's 800-218-1932. Storyland Studios, your big idea's best ally. Well, hey, before we move on, we got to talk about the ones that got away. Because uh, I don't know. I know you're living where I wanted to live, That that on the California coast, Newport, when Newport Coast... Uh, was announced Aldo Rossi. I was ready to take that project on and, and move down there and skateboard down to, to that site. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, talking about, uh, um, you know, the Westcott and the Westcott Resorts. What, what can you share on, on the, again, the ones that got away? Yeah, the ones that got away. Well, the Newport Coast Project, you know, we owned that land at one point or had it all locked up and we worked on it and it was just a little too soon for Disney Vacation Club and that's what it was going to be for was Disney Vacation Club um, but you know that was really my first full on program working with uh, Tom oh gosh he used to be with Cruise Line he's moved on now but uh, a few different folks and um, you know it's a great program ended up selling it and Marriott ended up taking its place and, um, you know, so that's one. The other ones, uh, Garden Walk, you know, there's yeah. a couple of places in Garden Walk. JW Marriott just went up right now. Most people don't know that years ago we were in negotiations to be the brand on that hotel and a hotel adjacent to it. And so we did full design work on that. Um, the other ones that got away, well, we talked about uh, Tom Sawyer's Island. Uh, Alani, you know, worked on Alani. Alani was, uh, has done awesome. Um, there were other projects prior to Alani. We were looking at getting into uh, a business that was gonna be potentially indoor water park hotel. Um, we had bought land in the Washington DC area. We hmm. had looked at land all over the country. We, had, we were basically out looking at over, all over the country, looking at spa businesses and hotels and, you know, health and wellness and, you know, looking at everything that it could possibly be that Disney get into. Um, Alani seemed like it was the low bearing fruit and, you know, it's done quite well. Um, 
around the Disneyland Resort, you know, we've, we've pitched and looked at different things over the years. The, the back half of the parking lot that they're showing now, we had uh, downtown Disney. We had another 200 room hotel and 200 room DVC, Disney Vacation Club, uh, with fireworks views, all planned, ready to go. But, you know, it got pushed aside because of timing and everything. But now they're coming back stronger with an even better concept, I think, than what that would have done. So um, it's all great. <laughs> yeah. Well, Alani's interesting. You know, it, it's almost, um, you know, foregoing the the totally fictional just backstory that just justifies a, a general place and really reach, you know, with Joe's uh, creative leadership, Joe Rohde's, you know, digging deep into the, you know, tradition of uh, the, the Hawaiian culture and that soil-specific context and, um, and even taking the the core structures that just, you know, had to be the height that they were just for the pro forma to <laughs> pencil out. Personally, I love Kauai and the, the building code that says buildings shouldn't be taller than a, than a coconut tree. But, uh, you know, the, the metaphor that those would be uh, kind of representative of, of mountains and that, uh, um, you know, kind of mountain valley, you know, that kind of um, kind of uh, Malcolm Mackay transect from the mountains to the sea with the water journey yeah. there um yeah looking forward to that got uh, got my time booked with the kids uh the second they're out of school this year so well i think that one is a great case study mel for when you're going into area maybe that you're not so um in tune with the uh area the people and what's proper and not proper and i think that that was probably one of the best projects that I think Disney did in bringing on cultural folks early. Dewan Rivers came in, Dewan did a fantastic job in leading that project. They picked up a great GM from Hawaii area. Um, so they didn't just bring in Disney people over to some island to say, oh no, this is how Disney does it. They really went in and learned uh, what's the right way to do it and have the mm -hmm. right folks there guiding them along the way. And I think that's what Joe Rohde brings to his projects in general. Uh, when he goes out, he goes in depth in them, but he also brings other people in and makes sure he has the right people around him. So you uh, you caught the Hawaii bug. You literally not just rode off into the sunset, you sailed off into the sunset to, uh, to Maui. Uh, what, what a compare contrast. How well, was that? <laughs> you know, it, it was just opportunities. Um, I left Disney in 2012, um, was working on a project, renovating a house, gutting it and doing all these things and got a call from a friend of mine saying, hey, can you jump in and help me at this little Sheraton hotel in Anaheim? And I was thinking, well, like, when do you need me? He said an hour and a half. <laughs> I ran down. I said, okay, I got to go shave and get out of these jeans because that's the first thing anybody from Disney does when they retire is they, in those days, would grow facial hair and put on jeans and a T-shirt and never leave it. Um, and come to find out that hotel had owned, been owned by the Rathers, who owned the Disneyland Hotel. And I started peeling back the pages and starting to understand the story behind it. Bill Fanning, who good friend of all of ours, used to be the general manager there. Who knew? And so I had a lot of fun with that project, but in the process, started working with Universal Sheraton Hotel up there and mm -hmm. met a guy who ended up being the vice president of hotels for all of Hawaii. One day he called and said, hey, I got an opportunity here at the West in Maui. Um, 
My honeymoon hotel, out by the way. Interview. Love it. <laughs> Just I flew out. I flew out to Stamford, Connecticut, to go meet with the president of the company for Starwood. Horrible interview. It was probably ninety degrees when I got there and ninety percent humidity. I'm out in the parking lot because as I got in the building, the fire alarms went off and the whole place evacuated. I'm the only guy out there with a suit on or a tie on because I'm going in for an interview. Everybody else is jeans and t-shirts. So I was rather flustered, did a horrible job. And luckily for me, um, I don't know if you remember Kelly Frank, she was the senior vice president of HR and uh, another woman, Pilar Riley. And they both called him and said, no, don't worry about it. Just trust us. And so got in, flew back from France to California, and then next day got on the plane to Hawaii and started two fantastic years. And that's another one that was just a really fun project because it was a matter of on day three, they had $150 million renovation project that they were planning and didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And um, so got to really work on that, work on the sale from Starwood to Marriott and um, transition. So, and then the ultimate sale of the hotel to Trinity. And if you haven't seen it, I don't know when last time you've been there, Mel, but the renovation just turned out amazing. Truly, truly sense of place. Yeah, it's a it's a special. I mean, again, it, my honeymoon hotel. We've been back with the family. You know, I I got turned on to it. I checked in. Uh, or I met one of the premier hotel architects based in Hawaii, and and even though he had nothing to do with the design of hotel, the design of the hotel, that was a there was a crazy developer named Chris Hemeter that took the old uh, Maui Surf Hotel again, kind of a vanilla hotel, and uh, I think his nickname was the Walt Disney of the Pacific for a while. He would do these just crazy, crazy super pools and and really kind of reinvent kind of this uh, this hotel experience, the the Waikoloa Village uh, that Hilton runs and. A um, couple of other properties, but um, this uh, this architect just said, you know, I think of all the hotels in Hawaii, it's probably my favorite just entry sequence. The the, mm. the you know rather because rather than just going right to the lobby and seeing that big ocean vista, there's a little bit of a you know discovery around um, you know the lagoon, and you have to go around that. And boy, he he nailed it. It's, it's just a special place, special yeah. location, and and uh, with your stewardship, Tony, and and uh, yeah, I have seen the updated design. It's still. Still great. It's it's Noel Lani, but it is uh, yeah. It, it's great. We we still love it. So you we, you mentioned um, you know it's funny because everything you touched on you end up doing. I mean the the whole uh, convention bubble Gaylord uh, Opryland Hotel model. I know they were a benchmark and a competitor for a lot of years in terms of different groups and conventions. But but really you know there was a time with the, the hundred fifty thousand square feet of internal convention space that the Disneyland Hotel had. It was, you know, kind of almost the the West Coast version of the the Opryland Hotel kind of convention bubble where you yeah. you didn't have to rely on citywide conventions. You could do um, kind of your hotel, uh, fill your rooms up and, and get a higher, you know, uh, hotel rate with that. Uh, and then also the, the Great Wolf Lodge kind of indoor water park hotel concept. Uh, you know, tell, tell us about, you know, that the applicability of whatever was going on at Disney versus uh, kind of Great Wolf and that that's yeah. I, I call it a, a a permanent or a, a non moving cruise ship you know because it really is kind of for that family <laughs> it, it demographic is. you've got them and and that, and that was the whole intent with cruise ship on land when we looked at things so back in two thousand and seven uh, Great Wolf Lodges 
I want to say their stock was ranging from about $3.50 to $5 a share. I think they had five hotels at the time. Al Weiss sent two or three of us out to go check on Great Wolf. We went down to Grapevine, Texas to go look at the, the new Great Wolf Lodge down there. And because um, he thought we should maybe take a look at buying the company. And, um, you know, so that, that was just in Ended up not doing it. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we felt that it was a good product. But for us to bring it up to where Disney would want its standards to be, would have to touch almost everything in the building. Even though yeah. it was a really good product for families and fun, it wasn't necessarily up to the WDI type standard. Um, so, you know, fast forward 10 years later, 2017, I'm getting ready to come back from Maui. Um, I had given them like five, six months notice. That, that Christmas, I was doing FaceTime with my grandkids and my wife in Utah and me in Maui. I couldn't leave and that just <laughs> killed me and killed the grandkids so it was like that's it not going to do that anymore so decided we're going to come back came back was getting ready to come back and had been talking for about six months with that uh with Aaron Wallace who was the senior VP of Walt Disney World and California and she had left the company a few years earlier and was now the COO of Great Wolf Lodge and she was asking me questions we're chatting back and forth about what the real world hotel businesses like versus our Disney bubble and things of that sort, because it is quite different. Um, and so, you know, he said, hey, if anything happens, let me know. I'm going to be coming back, might ha be looking. And a couple of weeks later, I got a call, Mark Rucker, who was one of the VPs uh, from Disney, had joined the team as head of operations. And so they made me an offer, flew me out. Um, got sold it and you know it, it was a good experience it was it was a great family resort the challenge with it was the length of stay mm -hmm. 1.4 days 1.5 days and it was the same thing we faced Mel when we originally went to the Disneyland hotel it was only Disneyland length of stay wasn't long enough and it right. was just you know constant turnover this was a great project um, good food and beverage offerings, great water park, kids' experiences, uh, bowling, mini golf. So we had, had so many things. Literally less than 5% of the guests coming there were leaving to go to Disneyland. So it was a standalone really? experience. It was a cruise ship on land, and people came in, and they parked and didn't leave until they were leaving. Wow. So Just how many how many blocks away? <laughs> it's it's just a, one mile, a uh, Two miles. Like that's that's crazy. That's right, amazing. right down the street, right down the street. Captive audience. Yeah, Harbor Boulevard, and you know, um, so yeah. Well, I, I just appreciate the the range of what some would just generically call lodging hospitality, but truly, I mean, because I also know you're a, you're a, a foodie, and you, you have some responsibility for putting Disney on the the foodie map. You know, with hiring kind of arguably their first celebrity chef. Uh, with Andrew Sutton and and creating Napa Rose and you know we could do a whole other episode just on on food and beverage and wine and um, but but I, I think we should <laughs> but we should do it over dinner yes and wine. yes I love <laughs> and it wine. Uh, and wine at Napa Rose but <laughs> but um, Tony just you know your kind of your overall thoughts on you know how 
you know, seemingly disparate, uh, you know, aspects or disciplines of the, the hospitality industry from, you know, lodging, food, wine, um, even retail. We didn't even touch on downtown Disney. You're kind of in charge of uh, that, you know, kind of a big deal with uh, downtown Disney. And, um, you know, just I think we tend to compartmentalize that into different uh, development groups and, and operating groups. Um, what is it that, um, you know, kind of makes all that uh, kind of the seamless uh, story-based Disney experience? How, how do you, how did you manage to pull that together? Yeah, bridging all those biz- business groups. How, how's that happen? Um, well, A, surround yourself with a lot of great people, number one, mm-hmm. uh, and figure out who the resources are that you have. Um, and a lot of, a lot of partnering. Um, so I would say that, you know, the downtown Disney project, for example, uh, that was a real fun project. It was not something that I had as a core knowledge. I knew food and beverage. I knew business. Um, I knew the Disney standard, but I didn't really know retail. I didn't really know all those things. But I do believe that, you know, when you grow in your career um, at a certain point, and, and I somewhat truly believe this today and i don't want to sound uh, cocky but i really believe at some point in time you get prepared that you could pretty much go in and do anything mm-hmm. um and i go back mel and this was hideo hideo was a person that talked and sometimes you wouldn't understand what he was really trying to say and the light would go on years later and I remember the day we sat down, I was left food and beverage, I think a year earlier and had been the resident manager of the Disneyland hotel for a year. And we had worked on this project for the paradise pier hotel and we got it. And we uh, sat down and I stepped back. We we were having lunch and I was the food and beverage director. And he said, Hey, uh, it's Thursday. We're having lunch today. Monday, I want to transfer you over to be the director of rooms and in charge of all the rooms and related to the Disneyland Hotel. And I was like, but Hideo, I don't know anything about rooms. I said, I know food and beverage. And then he very softly and very simply said, he says, look, let me explain something to you. You have hamburgers, you got chicken dinners, and you got the steak and lobster. It's not chicken and beverage, <laughs> right? I said, yeah. He says, those are things you sell. Well, in the rooms, you got the big suites, you got the concierge, (laughs) and you got the basic suites. That's a product too. He says, it's people. It's all about people and leadership. And he continually would bring up analogies and things that help to simplify the connecting of the dots for you. Um, and, And so that really was a big thing for me. And I really, from that point on, looked and said, oh, yeah, I could go run Home Depot tomorrow. I would like to go right. in there and do that. Do I know anything about being an engineer and all the technicals? Nope, but I know the basics. Mm-hmm. And it, it really does all go back down to leadership. Oh, that's tremendous. Well, I, I just can't thank you enough for coming on with us, Tony. It, it's exciting to hear your story and especially uh, sort of crossing that line where you brought you brought the berm outside or you, you brought design outside the berm, but also just sort of one last little piece. When you talk about those, uh, those, the steak and lobster, 
of rooms. You talk about those uh, master design suites that are really their own theme park to themselves uh, in the Disneyland Hotel and and uh, inside the park. Uh, talk a little bit about what it's like for people and and the 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 dream behind making it possible for people to sleep inside their favorite Disneyland uh, Land. lands. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, had a super great partner in this process with John Morrow, um, who's with WDI. I think he's working on the Marvel project right now in California Adventure. Um, and John, uh, I won't say he was sneaky, but this was <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a trend here. A lot of times, if you can do it under the radar and not say anything, you can, you have a lot more latitude to get things done. Too many people get involved and it gets a whole lot harder. But anyways, um, so we had this idea. We saw the movie Princess Diaries and was like, oh, my gosh, this is so cute. It's all the rage. What if? So called the movie studio, ended up, they shipped down the entire bedroom scene out of the movie and we put it together. Okay, this was at the Disneyland Hotel. We took a basic guest room and we plussed it up and we did literally printed on some paper color and made our own princess type theme amenities and taped it and everything. And it was a fun suite. And what it ended up doing was becoming the inspiration as to what if. And so the next one that we ended up doing only cost us 300,000, which is really, really cheap was the two bedroom penthouse suite at the Disneyland hotel. And that suite, when it was done, finished up on a Friday, right before the Pirates premiere. And it was the Pirates of the Caribbean suite. It had the doorbell that played Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho. <laughs> um, in the suite, um, Extensio, we, I think we called him X. Um, you know, he was involved in that. He signed it and everything. Uh, wow. Tori, Tori McCullough uh, was very involved and helped us quite a bit with that whole thing. Wing Chow. And we did that under the radar without my boss even knowing um, until we got to the 250,000 mark. And then I had to sort of tell him about it. <laughs> um, but it went over really, really well. And then where that led from there ended up being the uh, Year of a Million Dreams, the Mickey Mouse penthouse suite. They wanted to do it over in the park, but there wasn't a spot for it at that point in time. Um, so we had a great opportunity there to do that. And then from there, I'm trying to think, I think from there, we then ended up doing the dream suite inside Disneyland up above the Blue Bayou, yep. uh, which was Kim. I just sort yep. of, well, say loosely consulted from a hotel perspective and how were they going to operate it perspective. Um, but again, that was super, super awesome. And then uh, from there, we had the ability to go in and had got turned on to do all the other suites at the Disneyland Hotel. The uh, the wedding suite, which was the fairy tale suite. Uh, we had the uh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and um, Adventureland. We, it, it's yeah, Adventureland. Adventureland, right? Yes. Yeah. Thank yep. you. Well, I'm you know. If anybody missed it, we we I was I'm it's killing me that we're not even talking Trader Sam's, that we're not talking about my attempt at buying the Nautilus to park in the marina or the Neverland pool. Uh, we do have that um, 
podcast interview that uh, you and I did a couple of weeks ago with the the sweep spot, but we're definitely going yeah, to have to have you back, and uh, it's going to have to be somewhere cool, whether it's Trader Sam's or, or Napa Rose. Thank you so much, Tony. And, oh, and, thank you, guys. And I'm, I'm so excited to get to hang out with you next week. And That's going to be fun. Fly over Up the Rockies to together. Did you see yep. what the weather's going to be, Mel? I'm afraid to look. <laughs> Let's put it this way. You see those five fingers? It's less than that. Oh, oh my oh my well uh thank you tony uh so glad to have you and uh well i want to have you on again talk about those other things so thank long. you guys have a great weekend well mel congratulations that is so cool that uh, tony has decided to join you at storyland studios i well, i mean you you got to be excited what does it mean to bring that sort of guru level expertise to the storyland mix <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, it, it it always has taken that that mix of dreamers and doers uh, to pull off what we do. But Tony is so unique because uh, not only is he, uh, you know, a true doer in terms of uh, understanding the operational details that kind of make the margins work, that, you know, uh, get you through the tough times and uh, figuring out how to, you know, pull the right strings and play with the levers. Um, but he has this ability to just completely live outside the box of whatever uh, expectation, whether it's an operational expectation or an experience perception that people have to just introduce these ideas that, so it, again, it is this, he is a beautiful mind, man, a, this weird <laughs> balance of left and right brain. Uh, but I got to also say he's probably one of the hardest uh, driving, hardest worker uh leaders that I've ever uh, I, I'll say I had the privilege at the t- there were times where I don't know if it felt like a privilege of serving under I mean, because no matter how hard you were pushing you couldn't push as hard as this guy I mean you know I just remember specifically uh, you know it could be 5 30 in the morning uh, walking in and he's sitting there going to town working already with his, working with his uh, I don't know how many diet cokes he had already been through by the time I walked <laughs> in the door but uh, anyways what a, what well he's gonna up your game that. maybe I don't know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> well Mel I don't know about you but I'm ready for that lazy river ride back to the dock what do you say sounds awesome <laughs> until next time thanks Mel The Themed Attraction Podcast is hosted by Freddie Martin and Mel McGowan. We want you to know that we don't take your listening for granted. We love to make this show for you, and we love that you love it too. Would you mind helping us out by leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts? It's pretty easy, just a couple clicks away. That helps others find the show and lets us know that you're enjoying what we're putting out there. We want to thank our special guest, Tony Bruno. You can connect with him daily on LinkedIn. Get access to more stories and interviews at themedattraction.com. Start your own profile, discuss the latest advancements, and interact with your fellow theme park designers around the world. Follow the action on Instagram and Twitter at themedattraction and join our active discussion group on LinkedIn. Connect with Mel by email via mel at storylandstudios.com or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at Skipper Freddy on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music was composed by Rob Watson, other music provided by The Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. 
Barry is the author of Imagineering an American Dreamscape, the genesis, evolution, and redemption of the regional theme park. This book tells the epic stories of regional theme parks and the strong-willed visionaries behind them. It's available to purchase on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or direct from the publisher at rivershorecreative.com. You know, Mel, Barry can do pretty much anything as long as he isn't made aware of the potential dangers. Last week, while we were navigating the treacherous rapids of Kilimanjaro, he was as brave as could be. That is, until he learned that any one of the razor-sharp rocks could plunge our boat to a watery grave three feet below. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>